0: do open your Bibles to Philemon, and please do keep them open to make sure that what I say is what God says in his Bible. And as we're going there, why don't we pray once more? Our Father in heaven, our prayer is simple. Lord, would you speak to us tonight through your Holy Spirit? Father, I am a fallible man. My words are very much fallible, but your words is infallible. And so, Lord, may we hear your words tonight in little the words of mine. Would your Holy Spirit be working amongst us now to give us great clarity of thought and insight into your word so we can apply it to our lives as we seek to walk with Christ and to glorify him with our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, tonight we are starting our mini-series looking at what we're calling the One Book Wonders. Um, Week after Easter, we're going to be doing 2nd and 3rd John, but tonight we're going to come to Philemon. Now, these one-book wonders are just one-page wonders. They're very, very short. But these short books pack a big punch. You see, this letter of Philemon was written by the Apostle Paul to his dear friend, you guessed it, Philemon, or Pilemon. Now, this is a letter that a lot of people forget exists. It often gets overlooked, and that's a real shame because while this may be the shortest of Paul's letter in the New Testament, it is a rather remarkable letter. It's remarkable for what it doesn't include. There are no doctrinal statements. There is no quotations of Scripture. Paul does not even pull rank as an apostle. And Paul does not mention Jesus' death or resurrection. It's the only letter that Paul never does this. Instead, what we have have is a very warm, heartfelt, pastoral letter to a very dear friend. And the most remarkable thing about this letter is not what's not in there, but what is in there. You see, this may be a short letter, but this packs a big punch. This is an explosive letter, as hopefully we're going to see. See, this letter points us to the life-transforming power that we find in Jesus Christ. And this letter points us to not only this life-transforming power, but how that then works out in our actions towards one another. Let me begin by asking you this. Who is Philemon addressed to? Have a look. Verse 1. Who is Philemon addressed to? It's addressed to Philemon, yes. It says name above the door, as it were. But who else is it addressed to? Verse 2 is addressed to Aphiah, our sister. She was probably Philemon's wife. It's addressed to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Some say this was Philemon's son. We're not entirely sure. And it's addressed to the church that meets in your home. In other words, this is a very personal letter in a very corporate context. This is not a private letter to a friend. This is a public letter to a family, a family of God to the church. You see, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where relationships are hard. We live in a world where sometimes it's hard to share in fellowship with someone else who has wronged us. We live in a world when it's hard to share fellowship with one another when we have wronged them. Yet the Bible teaches us that if we are Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, if we love him, we must also love one another. Jesus says in John 13, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, let me ask you another question. How can we love someone as Christ calls us to do when that person has seriously wronged us? How can we expect our brothers and sisters to love us when we have wronged them? Well, hopefully by God's grace and by God's word, we're going to learn the answer to that by studying Philemon together. Now, let me quickly give you the backstory of Philemon. Okay, uh, Paul is writing to his friend Philemon, and Paul and Philemon first met in Ephesus when Paul was setting up a church there. And Paul led Philemon to Christ under his ministry. Later, when the Colossian church was set up, uh, Philemon went there, and he became a leader of that church, and the church, part of the church met in his home. Philemon is also a slave owner. And one of his slaves is rather ironically named Onesimus. Does anyone know what Onesimus means? Your footnote will tell you, Onesimus actually means useful. Well, Onesimus was anything but useful. In fact, he was downright useless. And one day, Philemon and Onesimus have some sort of conflict. We're not entirely sure what happens. But Onesimus becomes even more useless by running away. And he helps himself to a nice wad of cash on his way out. Now, what happens next, we're not entirely sure. But somehow, Onesimus ends up in Rome. And he meets the apostle Paul, who's been held in prison. And there, Paul shares them the good news of Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, Onesimus becomes a Christian under the ministry of Paul. And then Onesimus becomes an assistant of Paul while he's in prison. But now Paul's faced with a difficult situation. Because he's now got Onesimus next to him, who's helping him out in prison. He's become a Christian. But he knows that Onesimus has wronged Philemon. And as an outworking of Onesimus' newfound faith, he has to go to Philemon to beg for his forgiveness for having wronged him. Well, you can imagine Onesimus' face when Paul suggests this to him. (laughs) Well, you're going to send me back to Philemon? I ran away from him. I'm going to get beaten if I go back there. I know the punishment that happens to one of his slaves when I go back to my master. And Paul says, no, nah, that's okay, it's okay. I'll write you a letter and I'll be fine. I know Philemon. He's my dear friend. I'll write a letter and I'll commend you to him. And that's what we have here in this short one-page letter. This is a letter that Onesimus hands over to Philemon when he goes to beg for his forgiveness. Now, this is up into two parts. So we've kind of got the basis for Paul's request in the opening prayer, that's verses 1 to 7. And then we have the actual request itself kind of going from verse 8 uh, all the way down to verse 21. And then we've got final greetings at the end there, 21 to 25. Now, as I was saying, Paul set this letter into a very corporate context. It's not a private letter to a friend. It's a public letter to a household. Keep bearing that in mind as we go along here. Because let's look at the prayer that Paul opens with in Philemon. Come with me to verse 4. Paul says this, I always thank God, thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because, here's why, I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul gives thanks to God for Philemon because he loves God's people and because he has faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul gives thanks to God for Philemon because he loves God and he loves God's people, the marks of a Christian. And this love fills Paul with great joy and encouragement because Philemon is the kind of guy you want to have in your church. Come with me to verse 7. Your love, this love he has, has given me great joy and encouragement. Encouragement, why? Because your brother have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Philemon is a refresher of people. Uh, this word "refreshers" is uh, a military term. It kind of applies to when an army takes a break after marching all day long. Imagine with me, you've got this army, marching along the road. They've got a big heavy gear on them, their equipment, their weapons, their big rucksack, they're weighed down by it. Okay, you've seen these sort of SES documentary programs, haven't you? Where they kind of run across, is it Dartmoor or something like that? With all these massive things that weigh like twice the weight of them, walking along. So they're going there, the sun's beating down on them, And they just feel this energy and strength being sapped from them. And like, oh, this is painful. But then the commander says, all right, lads, let's take a break. And they just collapse in a heap to the floor, take off all the things weighing them down, and have a sip of some thirst-quenching water. Well, that's the same effect that Philemon has on his church. As a refresher. He has a gift of refreshment. How many of us here would say we have got the gift of refreshment? If I was to ask you, what has God gifted you with? Well, I can sing, I can preach, I can, uh, I'm good. at counselling people, are you? Not when people say, I'm a refresher of God's people. We need refreshers of God's people, don't we? Do you know the kind of people that as they walk towards you, you just feel the air in your balloon being filled rather than seeping out? He's a refresher. Then we come to verse 6 where we hear the content of Paul's prayer. and Verse 6 is a key verse in Philemon. It's what drives this book. But it's also a verse in which a commentator says the meaning of every single word in this verse is disputed. That's great to hear as a preacher, I can tell you. So let's tackle this verse. Let me read this verse for you. So this is the content of Paul's prayer. It says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding for every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now, what Paul is saying here is he is appealing to the partnership that Philemon has with God's people. Okay? Okay? The word here for partnership is a Greek word called koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. It means a, a mutual sharing. It means enjoying one another's company, but it goes deeper than that, okay? See, as Christians, we share in this koinonia. And that means that as Christians, we do not only belong to one another, but we are mutually identified with one another. We rejoice when they rejoice, we mourn when they mourn, that kind of thing. We are united together as one body. We're all bound to get in a way that makes individualism look shallow and petty. And we have this partnership, this koinonia, in the faith. That is the faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's prayer is that this partnership might be effective in deepening Philemon's understanding of every good thing, we share for the sake of Christ. In other words, Paul's prayer is that his partnership with those around him, his fellowship, his koinonia, would help his understanding of what God is doing amongst his people. Every good thing, I think, applies to Ephesians chapter 1, where we hear of the big plan that God has for the world, that He is bringing all things into heaven and earth, he's uniting them together under Christ. That is God's big plan. Unite all things under Christ. And this is what Paul's referring to here with every good thing. Basically, what Paul is getting at is as Philemon's understanding deepens of just what God is doing, bringing unity to all things under Christ, this will then impact his actions so that he can treat those with whom he shares this fellowship, this koinonia, this partnership. Paul is praying. That Philemon's knowledge doesn't just stay in his head, but comes out in his actions. And if Philemon follows this principle, then he will treat Onesimus right, the way that Paul is going to tell him to treat him. This will enable Philemon to do something radical and countercultural. That is the basis for this letter, okay? Paul is appealing to the koinonia, the fellowship that Philemon enjoys with God's people. And he's appealing to the love Philemon has for his people. Come with me to verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ Jesus, I could be bold. Okay, Paul's saying, remember, I am an apostle. I could be bold, and I could order you to do what you ought to do. I could command you, Paul's saying, yet, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul's saying, I could pull rank here, but I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to appeal on the basis of love. I'm going to appeal on the basis of our shared love for Christ. I'm going to appeal on the basis of our shared love for each other. I'm going to appeal on the basis of love. See, Paul here is not looking for some sort of outward compulsion, but an inward persuasion. So having laid the groundwork, Paul now gets to the reason for his letter, the request. Come with me to verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, remember useful, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. Paul is appealing on behalf of Onesimus as he sends him back to Philemon. Now, before we go any further, let me address the elephant in the room. Here we have a letter. We have a slave and we have a slave master. And here we have Paul sending the slave who has escaped his slave master back to the slave master. Does this mean Paul is is commending slavery? It can be read that way, can't it, on first reading? Why does Paul not send a letter to Philemon telling him to free Onesimus at once and keep Onesimus with him? After all, slavery is degrading. It robs humanity of the dignity that was given to us when we were made in the image of God. Yet here in this letter to a slave master, the apostle Paul makes no attempt to even comment on slavery, let alone command Philemon to release Onesimus and all his other slaves for that matter. That's what people say about this letter. They think Paul is commending slavery. In fact, some people go further. Not only is Paul commending slavery, but he is disobeying God's law. Deuteronomy 23, verse 15 to 16 says this. If a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand him over to their master. So not only is Paul condemning, uh, commending slavery, but he's also breaking God's law, isn't he? Not quite. Because the deeper we get into this letter, we more realize just how much Paul is undermining slavery. And we've also got to remember what Paul writes elsewhere in his letters. In 1 Corinthians, he says, Were you a slave when you are called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is a Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Paul is saying here, I do not wish anyone to be a slave. And actually, when you look at Philemon, he is undermining slavery at every opportunity. You see, Paul is requesting Philemon to do something quite remarkable. Paul is requesting Philemon to do something radical, countercultural. You see, Paul is not only asking Philemon... To forgive Onesimus and welcome him back as a slave, that would be remarkable in itself. Slaves at that time, the punishment for running away was to be severely beaten, sometimes to death. No, Paul is asking Philemon to welcome him back as, verse 10, Paul's son. To welcome Onesimus back as, verse 11, someone who is useful. To welcome Onesimus back as, verse 12, his very heart's to welcome Onesimus back, no longer as a slave, but as a dear brother. Not even as a dear brother, but as an equal, a fellow man, a very dear brother in the Lord, verse 16. Paul is asking Onesimus to welcome him, Philemon, to welcome Onesimus back as though he's welcoming Paul himself. Now, can we see how explosive this would be in that culture, For slaves were merely household objects that you could do with as you please? See, Paul is placing Onesimus on the same level as Philemon. They are no longer slave and master, but they are now brothers in Christ. You see, Paul does not explicitly ask Philemon to set Onesimus free because he's asking him to do something much harder. Paul is asking him to love Onesimus and to treat him as an equal, as a family member. That is huge for that culture back then. That is massive. The upshot of all this is that without explicitly prohibiting slavery, Paul is demonstrating how slavery is incompatible with the way the gospel works in people's lives. The two just simply do not fit together. Now, can you imagine what Philemon was thinking when he was reading this letter? And Paul describes this useless slave as his son as useful, as his very heart, as a dear brother. Imagine what the church thought when they read this letter as well. Really? Anesimus? You mean him? You mean, you mean useless over here? He's become your son? He's, he's now your very heart? He's our dear brother? Really, Paul, have you got the right guy here? And Paul says, yes. And let me tell you why. He is my son. He is my very heart. He is your dear brother because of the life-transforming power of the gospel. You see, when Onesimus came to Paul, he was a useless, thieving, runaway slave. But then Paul had the privilege of sharing with him the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Onesimus repented of his sins and he believed in the name of Jesus and his life who he is, was transformed forever. He is no longer a useless rebellious slave, but he is now a useful brother in Christ through the saving and transforming grace of God. And because of this life-transforming power, the relationship has now been changed between Onesimus and Philemon. They can now welcome him back, not as a slave, but as their brother. Onesimus has been transformed into the family of God, therefore they are to welcome him into the family of God. This is quite powerful stuff. This amazing transformation. And Paul goes further than that. Paul says, I know Onesimus has wronged you, and I know there is a cost to pay for wronging you, but come with me to verse 18. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul is saying, Put his wrongdoing on me. Put the cost of him on me. I will take his punishment. Charge it to my account. You see, what Paul is doing here is he is mirroring Christ. You see, the reason Paul doesn't mention Jesus' death or resurrection's letter is because he is acting it out. Paul is telling Philemon to put Onesimus' wrongdoing on me, charge his debt to me so that you both can be reconciled, so that you both can experience this koinonia, this fellowship, this mutual participation with one another. And that, brothers and sisters, is exactly what Jesus does for us. See, when Jesus went to that cross, he took our wrongdoing upon himself. He took our sin upon himself and he died on that cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can be reconciled to God. You see, before we can begin to be reconciled to one another, we must first be reconciled to God because the truth is, before Christ, we were all Onesimus. The truth is, before Christ, we were all useless. The truth is, before Christ, we were all rebellious runaways. Paul reminds Philemon of this in verse 19. When he says, I Paul write his own hand, I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. What Paul is getting at here? Well, Paul is reminding him of the time that his life was transformed under Paul's ministry. He's reminded of the time that Philemon once was Onesimus, when he was useless, a rebellious runaway, when he was deserving of the punishment of his sins, when he felt ashamed, worthless, and unloved. But Jesus Christ came to Philemon and transformed his life and brought him into the family of God, into this koinonia, this fellowship, this mutual participation. And brothers and sisters, for those of us who are in Christ, that is the exact same for each one of us. We are, or we used to be, all runaways. Not runaways from an earthly master, but runaways from God. See, we were once useless. We were rebellious. We deserved the punishment for our sins. And we feared of returning home to our master, God, because we were shamed we felt worthless and we felt unloved. But then, in stepped a, then stepped in a substitute. One willing to take for us all the punishment we deserve. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took on flesh, paid the penalty we were due at the cross, wiped our slate clean, clothed us with his righteousness, and allowed us to return home to our Father without fear, but with full acceptance. We were transformed by Christ. We were brought into the family of God. 1 John 3 says this See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Do you ever read that and go, Wow, I'm a child of God, the great, almighty maker of heaven and earth? I am his child. He loves me because of Christ. My life has been transformed because of Christ. So I am now part of God's family. Why is that important to remember? Because the next time someone wrongs you and comes to you seeking forgiveness, remember just how great a debt that you have been forgiven. See, because we've been reconciled to God through Christ, we must also be reconciled to one another. It's an unavoidable outworking of the gospel. It is a gospel in action, as we see here. So when that person comes to you asking for forgiveness, you can go, do you know what? I've been forgiven of so much. And you have wronged me so little in comparison that, of course, I can forgive you. Of course, we can be reconciled to one another because I have been reconciled to God. Can we see how the gospel impacts our thinking and therefore our actions? It's an example of a practical outworking of our faith in Jesus Christ. And not only do we, and we're all Onesimus, and we're also all Philemon's as well. And we need the gospel in both situations. You see, we need Christ in both situations. Do you notice how this uh, letter starts and finishes? The bookends of grace, as I've called it. Come to me to verse 3. Paul says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Then down to verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Now, when it comes to reading Paul's letter, we often glance over the openings and closings of Paul's letter. Like, okay, Paul's writing to some church, this person, he says a nice wee blessing, that's so lovely. And then at the end of the letter, everyone says hi, and he says "No, nice wee blessing, how nice. But we must be careful that our familiarity does not blind us from the significance and the importance of these greetings. See, these are not token words for Paul. These are heartfelt and meaningful. You see, Paul has asked Philemon to do an incredible thing. Paul has asked Philemon to do something that is not natural, that is countercultural, that is so explosive that it's going to require superhuman strength for him to do it. Paul has asked Philemon to accept Onesimus back into his household as a dearly loved brother, and Paul knows that is a hard thing to do. Come with me again to the final greetings. Come with me to verse uh, 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Now, Mark is otherwise known as John Mark. And if you know the story of Paul, if you know Acts, you know this is a John Mark who had abandoned Paul when they were in ministry together. This is the same John Mark who caused such a sharp disagreement between Paul and another worker, Barnabas, that caused them to split up and go their separate ways. And yet we come back here and read Mark's name. The guy who had abandoned Paul. And how does he describe him? My fellow worker. Paul knows what it's like to be wronged. Paul knows what it's like to be abandoned, but Paul also knows what it's like to be reconciled. It's mentioned there in that little greeting there. And Paul knows that what it takes to be reconciled to one another it's nothing else than the grace that comes from God that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's only through the grace of God that we can find peace with God and with one another. You see, brothers and sisters, if we've been wronged, then we need to lean on our Savior to find a means by which we can be reconciled to that person. We need to be reminded of the debt that we have been forgiven so we can extend that hand of forgiveness to others to show that grace and peace to others. And if we are the ones who have wronged, we need the grace of Jesus Christ to go in humility to beg for forgiveness from that person, to be reconciled to them. We are all recipients of God's grace and therefore are brought into koinonia with one another, fellowship with one another. We are all equal partners, regardless of our social class, race, nationality. See, God through Christ is uniting all things under Christ, and that includes us. Now maybe you're here tonight, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you're here out of curiosity, you want to learn more about Christianity and who Jesus is. Or maybe you're here and you've got no idea why you're here. You just are. Well, I hope that tonight you have caught a glimpse of the life-transforming power of the gospel the power that us from being useless to useful, from being runaways to being dearly loved brothers and sisters. I hope you see that. Because if you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, then let me tell you that it's only Jesus that's going to transform your life. It's only in Jesus that you'll find this grace and peace. It's only in Jesus that you can be reconciled to God and then reconciled to one another. Maybe you're not quite convinced yet. Well, can I encourage you to come back next Sunday morning? Next Sunday morning, it's going to be Easter. And we are going to be baptizing some people here. And they are going to be sharing their stories of how their lives was transformed, just like Onesimus, just like Philemon, and just like everyone other Christian in this room today. Why don't you come back then and hear their stories? And see 21st century examples of how the gospel is at work today transforming people's lives. This is a cool letter, Philemon. It's short, but it packs a punch. It reminds us of the gospel. It reminds us of the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. And it reminds us that we can be reconciled to one another. So if we're sitting here tonight and we feel wronged by someone, there's hope, there's grace. You can be reconciled to that person. If you're sitting here tonight and you have wronged someone else, there's hope, There's grace. In humility, you can be reconciled to that person. Why? For the sake of Christ. For the fellowship of each other. For this koinonia. For the love we have for one another. And for God's big plan, uniting everything in Christ, uh, uh, writing everything under Christ. Paul says in Colossians, Colossians 3 verse 11, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Let's pray.